I'm Autumn Marie Cox, and every rejection, every disappointment has led me to this moment. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and Anna, your Chinese is getting worse <laughs> every time we talk. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of state capacity theory and Ricardian equivalence. Today, we'll be talking about everything, everywhere, all at once, or as I like to call it, everything, everywhere, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not the name of the movie. Now, Relax. interestingly enough, my wife has also constantly called it that rather than everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> I don't know why that is. This is fascinating to me, and I'm going to have to do some more research on that point. But, but keep going. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about the city we became and... I have the results of our Heinlein poll. Mm-hmm. We are going to be discussing The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Dan, what do you think? I I look forward to reading it. As I said, I haven't read not, it either. <laughs> I haven't read it either. So, you know, really going to just have to order that sucker and I will withhold judgment until I read it. That is for our Canon Fodder series for mm-hmm. those who, who don't know. We haven't done Canon Fodder in, in a bit. If you are not a patron, please consider becoming a patron. Patrons get all kinds of goodies, including early access to episodes and our Discord, which I get embarrassed when I talk to strangers, not strangers. You know what? I would be embarrassed if I talked to strangers about a Discord. (laughs) That would actually be (laughs) pretty embarrassing. But when I try to explain our Discord to people who aren't familiar with the concept, and I'm like, it's a chat thing, and everybody's so cool and nice and so diverse, and it's great, and we support each other. And they barely make fun of me these days. Well, we might have to start a new campaign to make fun of you. <laughs> like, just to have you come back to defend yourself. Yes, I will come back. We are always taking ideas. One way you can reach us to give us your idea about what we might talk about is via Twitter. Dan, what are our Twitter handles? My Twitter handle is at Dan Dresner, and her Twitter handle is at Anna Marie Cox. Uh, You can also post to our Patreon page, which is where you would join to get all those goodies that I talked about. And that's Patreon. Becoming a patron, not the worst idea. You know, just saying. Patreon.com slash Space the Nation. Dan, how are you? I am doing well. You know, among other things, this is the first episode of recording in a while in which both of us experienced the content, as it were, by actually going to a theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was your theater going experience on it? Well, Dan, this was a, it was a big, big night for me. I went to an Alamo uh, Drafthouse Theater for the first I time. I have heard of these vaguely, but I don't think I've been to one. What's it like? So, Dan, the Alamo Drafthouse Theater is, uh, you might call it an adult movie experience, but not that kind of Bark, adult barka, movie. Wow, wow. It, yeah, okay, is, it is uh, for adults. Right. You know, like they have waiters and a menu, mm-hmm. adult beverages. <laughs> So far, you're not distinguishing it enough from the other adult thing. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Fine. Think of I, that. I can only imagine what that experience would be. I did not like it. I didn't like it. I didn't the, like having the, a waiter. The experience of having a waiter. Okay. Yeah, I didn't like having a waiter at the movie. Mm-hmm. The popcorn was super good. I will say that. Popcorn Did was the amazing. waiter... So, I, I am curious. It was like not theater popcorn. It was like actual, like... Oh, legit good popcorn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, so I'm curious. There's There are super luxes around here that are not exactly like that and that it's not tables, but you can No, you, those are tables. Service. That's actually one of the reasons I didn't like it is it's uh, okay. theater seating with just like a bar in front of you. Yeah, that was how the super luxes up here work. So did the waiter come while the movie was going on? That's the question. Not to take an order, but to deliver food. Deliver, yes. yeah. And that's a problem. Because yeah. you don't want to be distracted at that moment. And sometimes you got to, I don't know if you had to sign for whatever you had charged or what, you know, it's a, it's a. Well, the people it, next to me did, even if I didn't. So like. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know. There was just something about like, also, I'll be honest, like um, the people either side of me ordered booze. Oh, I'm sorry. And something about smelling booze, like while I'm at a movie, like, I mean, I used to sneak booze into movies all the time. It's not so much like it was a memory. It was just like, oh, that's that kind of distracting. Like, yeah, I would totally understand if it was distracting. You know. So I think I'm, I'm going to go back to my old, you know, like AMC. And yeah. I and I, I have kind of a, in the same way that I, I grew to love bad AA coffee. I kind of like movie theater popcorn for that same. It's a comfort thing, right? Like it's kind of shitty popcorn, overly salted, overly buttered. But that's what you eat when you watch a movie. And also there are going to be no waiters getting in your room. And there are no waiters. (laughs) Yeah. And there's reclining seating. Wasn't reclined seating because of the whole 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, no, no. So Since I they have to... bars, since they have the place thing you need to eat at, you can't have reclined seating. Interesting. So I went to see this at a landmark theater, which in Cambridge. And because I'm sure those this are... is fascinating for everyone, but I want you to continue because I went on <laughs> and I want you to go on. All I'm going to say is there was reclined seating okay. and there wasn't service. So that was great. The only annoying thing for me, it, although it was interesting given how the film played out, was there were two people in front of me that were laughing really hard at a lot of things. And then the film takes a turn, and I think they were surprised at how that turn was. And so it, it was it was interesting in that sense. But uh, it was nice to actually go see it in a theater oh. where everyone was laughing at slightly different things. And so, and this is one of those movies where people are going to laugh at slightly different things. And so that was a lovely communal experience. I did discover something that our listeners might be intrigued to know. Oh, yes. Yes. What is it on it? Subtitles on a big screen don't bother me. Oh, this is excellent. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. like I. This is an important step. Yeah, you did uh, have, yeah. with Train to Busan, and just annoy. It just annoyed me, and for some reason, I realized, like watching the movie, like, oh, I'm not being annoyed by these subtitles. I wonder if it's because, like, on a big screen, it is possible to simultaneously read what you're seeing and watch the actual action. I think that's it. I think yeah. that it's it in, and also it might have had something to do with them mixing in English. So, like, there were not times. Right. It I wasn't entirely. Yeah. The, the film is partly half Chinese, I would say, half English. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And it was, so, in that sense, it was well done. Oh, and one last thing about my experience, which is, I think, if I was going to do a pro for the Alamo Draft House yep. Theater, they handed out googly eyes. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet, actually. Like a little packet of googly eyes. That I, I like. Which I, I gave like to that. my na- my neighbor's son, who's 10. Oh, so. you're good people. Anna. Thank you. I sometimes hate children, but not always. <laughs> I should really put that up as a bumper sticker. <laughs> Dan, but why are we talking about this? We are talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. I think for several reasons. This is a film that had gotten good buzz. But I don't know about you. Every once in a while, a movie trailer will come along where you see it and you're like, wow, I've never seen something like that before. Mm -hmm. Or it, it looks genuinely different enough. Oh, wait, I just realized I do have to add one little thing about the my experience of watching it, which is one of the trailers they showed was for this movie Men. I don't know if they showed it for you. It's supposed to be a horror movie. (laughs) <laughs> listeners, I can imagine. Right. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> listeners, you have to watch the trailer. When the trailer came on, it is clearly designed to be like supposed to scare you. And yet when the last panel hits where it says men, everyone in the theater laughs. And I don't think the laughter was intended by the, the, the creators of the trailer. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, this trailer, however... Look genuinely different. That is a good thing. We want to reward new and interesting things. And also, you know, seemed multiverse friendly, so we should check it off. I also like we're not talking about straight white guys. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our best to expand our multiverse. Right. <laughs> Beyond the straight and the white and the American European verse that yes. we live in by default. Mm-hmm. I will add, and this is something that I'm going to just bring up whenever possible about this movie. You know, it's not the end, but it's maybe not the, the midpoint, perhaps. Yeah, I would say we're in the middle, I think would be the, the safe way of putting it. Yeah, so I immediately was drawn to that the idea of a superhero origin story that begins like past the age of 45. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, we have a, a section we call Chekhov's What's It? Yes, in which we talk about something that very often appears in the first part of the film that you know is going to play an important role later on in the film. So, Anna, what was your Chekhov's what's it? Okay, Dan, I'm going to put some words together here in the same (laughs) sentence. Not meant to go together. It's a kind of a hundred monkeys typing thing. I got to say, Anna, this might be the very first time in the history of mankind these three words have been put together. I know. Yeah, okay. Chekhov's butt plugs. (laughs) Chekhov's butt plugs. Because... When you first saw those awards, I don't I know knew, about you. Of course, of yes. course. Okay. <laughs> like, if you haven't seen the movie, I, I won't explain. I refuse You're, to yes. explain. And I will say, I, I mean, I think it would be safe to say that you know we're not we're not like reviewers necessarily, but both Anna and I, I think, recommend this movie, and I think it's a it yeah. is a, I think it's a theater worthy movie, is the way I would put it. I do too. I think I liked it a little less than you did. Yeah, just yeah. from the brief amount we've talked about it, but right. I would definitely I highly recommend it. It was one of those movies where, in retrospect, I kind of got 
had more doubts about it hmm. than than while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. But that's good. I mean, that's that if it you, made if you think you, about it. Also. If you want to, and it, it stuck with me, and it probably yeah. will stick with me. And yeah. the problems I had with it were not like deal breakers, right? You know, Absolutely. so they're more like I'll just I'll I'll talk about it more later. How about that? Fair enough. Okay. My Chekhov's What's It is the the wrist guard that the IRS agent uses to guard against Carpal Tunnel, which makes an exciting return cameo later in the film, not on her wrist. (laughs) But this movie is a... How do I put this? This movie continues with the bit in every way possible is the way I would just... is the way I would put it. And uh, it actually leads to some very surprising places. But... It's time to get to the story behind the story. So, Anna, I love this film for no other reason than it's literally directed by the Daniels. Tell us something about them. The Daniels. It's actually a Dan and a Daniel. Daniel okay. Scheinert and Dan Kwan. And if you're listening to this podcast, I can tell you they have definitely directed one of your favorite music videos. Because they've directed a lot of really popular music videos. They've directed for Passion Pit, Foster the People, Tenacious D, and Little Wayne's Turn Down for What? Which... You have definitely heard, if yeah. not seen the video. Their one previous film is a movie, and I'm quoting here. It's called Swiss Army Man, and it is about, <laughs> quote, a farting corpse played by Daniel Radcliffe. This, to me, one of the flaws in this movie is it is a little juvenile. <laughs> For a movie about middle age. <laughs> you say flaw, I say strength. But I think this is one of the areas we're going to disagree This is going to be, this is, this is a place where yes. we disagree. Yes. So I was not surprised. I remember the ads for that and I was kind of yeah. not, I, I was like, oh, there's some continuity here. The, the actual mustard seed of the story is pretty interesting. Daniel Kwan was visiting the mountainous California region of Big Sur when he dreamed up the concept of people being able to move from one universe to another by performing bizarre tasks which is what happens in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. And he says he was driving back with his fiance, and they were checking out wedding venues uh, and it's a long ride. So they just kept coming up with like these high concept ideas about how you would flip from one <laughs> universe to another, which sounds mm-hmm. like fun. He sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. Uh, they wrote the, the script with Michelle Yeoh in mind. She was originally called Michelle. Ah. And I will just share one quote that Michelle Yeoh has about the making of the movie. <laughs> Please do, Anna. You know it's going to happen because you see it in the script, but I wasn't prepared for such big dildos. Like, what the heck? Please be careful. You don't hit yourself. I do love the idea of actress Michelle Yeoh telling actress (laughs) Stephanie Hsu, who plays her daughter, be very careful with the big dildos. Well, that's always a good piece of advice, to be honest. I mean, that is, is, that's good advice. (laughs) You know what? One of the advantages... circumstances. (laughs) I mean, Anna, one of the advantages of being in the middle-aged, you know, experience is you learn a few things, all right? (laughs) You do know a few... You have, from hard-earned experience, you know a few things. And one of the things Hard-earned as one of the things is be careful of big dildos. That's just mm-hmm. that's that's just common sense. So uh, common sense, a lot of common sense in this movie, which mm-hmm. we should we should get to talking about. Dan, let's 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 talk about the plot of the movie, please. Okay. Reveal it to us. I will. Let's start with Act One, the linear part of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> Meet Evelyn Wang, who appears to be having a bad day slash year slash life. She lives above and co-owns a laundromat with her husband Wayman. She is hosting her disapproving father, Gong Gong, for his birthday, and also hosting a Chinese New Year's party for the community. She really does not want to explain to her dad that her daughter Joy is A, gay, and B, in a relationship with Becky, a white girl. This might have something to do with the fact that Gong Gong, among other things, uh, disapproved of Evelyn marrying Waymond in the first place. To top it all off, Waymond keeps trying to give divorce papers to Evelyn, so she will pay attention to him. All right, Dan. This yes. is a first point of disagreement. Um, okay. I thought he was really trying to get a divorce. Like, he didn't really want one. Like, he right. was torn up about it. Yeah. But that she was ignoring him. Mm-hmm. She was, like, I mean, and if she kept doing that, then he would go start a different life. I guess the way I would put it is, and I think I think he said this at one point, is that... I agree with you. He didn't want to get, as I said, I don't think he wanted to get divorced. I think he felt he had to take this step because it would force Evelyn to pay attention. 
Not just to him, but to the state of their marriage. Right, but I think he was prepared. Like, it wasn't just like an attention-getting ploy. Oh, no. I mean, he what actually... I, I guess I, I mean. Okay, I think, so, no, no, we're in the same place, I think, because okay. agreed, you don't go to a lawyer to actually have papers drafted up So, so it's, it's just like, it was, It's the social pay attention to him that I was like, no, he's already doing it because she wasn't paying attention to him. Fair, no, 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 fair enough. I mean, in the hopes that she will pay attention yeah, yeah, to yeah, him. That, yeah. Maybe that would be the better way of putting it. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. The only hint, by the way, that this is not a straightforward family dramedy is a very brief shot on closed-circuit TV where Wayman momentarily seems to be acting like a superhero. Oh, one last thing. Evelyn and Wayman are getting audited by an IRS agent who only vaguely resembles the Jamie Lee Curtis that we all know and love. This is because Evelyn keeps trying things, giving up on them, and then claiming stuff as business expenses. So Evelyn, Wayman, and Gong Gong go to their IRS appointment, and there the plot takes quite the turn. Anna, we'll get to the sci-fi elements next, but one of the reasons the film works so well for me, at least, is how extremely grounded that first act of the film was. The set design in that cramped apartment is as claustrophobic and cluttered as Evelyn's family dynamics. Yes? I was really bothered by that apartment, like in a in a physical way, because I am such a control freak myself. Like, and I think that's good. I think that's a mm-hmm. testament to the set design. That's that good set like, design. Yeah. Like yeah. I was physically uncomfortable myself. <laughs> yes. It seemed, I mean, again, it, it seemed like a genuinely lived in apartment. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. I also had the thought of which is something, you know, it gets talked about every once in a while that it is true. In almost no movie do people have realistic looking places to live. Like that was a very realistic place. And this looked like a place that people lived. And I appreciated that. And while Yo is obviously awesome, I also wanted Mm. to draw attention to Waymond, uh, Kei Hua Kwong, who played Short Round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and also was in The Goonies and then didn't do much. To be fair, he's working, I believe, but he was working as like a, a is it behind stunt the scenes. Uh, yeah, stunt behind choreographer, the scenes. set, I think some set design, but behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there is a lot about this movie that's happenstance, right? Same. Kind of funny behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. They actually thought of him. They reached out to him. There was some meme that one of the Daniels saw that had short round in it. And he um. had, they'd been thinking about who to cast. And he was like, oh, that guy who played short round would be the right age at this point. And so they reached out to him. And now he actually is doing other stuff. Oh, good I for him. Just, he, I, and he does a great job. It's a, yeah. It is a surprisingly demanding role, I would say. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that he's kind of the glue for the movie. I, we'll get to this in a little bit. I think you don't realize he's the glue yeah. until the last act. But yes, I agree with you that he is... Like, he's not the main character. No. He's not the main character, but he is the glue guy in, in that sense. Yeah. It's absolutely essential in that All right, so sci-fi elements, Dan. What are the sci-fi elements? Perhaps you can tell us more. All right, let's get to act two, everything exposition all at once. At the IRS building, Wayman's personality suddenly transforms from meek to assertive. He explains to Evelyn that he is the Wayman from the Alphaverse, the first universe to learn how to jump from one reality to the next. It turns out there are many parallel universes which come into being after pretty much every human choice. What the Alpha Universe discovered is that when people access their parallel universe counterparts' selves, they acquire their skill sets and memories. A fun fact, to be able to properly verse jump, you need to take wildly improbable actions, like eating chapstick or something-something butt plugs, to move to the intended parallel universe. Sounds pretty cool, except the entire multiverse is being threatened by Jobu Tupaki, who is, wait for it, Alpha Waymond and Alpha Evelyn's daughter, Joy. Apparently, Jobu's brain was fractured after Alpha Evelyn tiger-mommed her way too hard to use their technology. As a result, Jobu has become the personification of Twitter and TikTok, experiencing all universes all at once and able to manipulate matter at will. Alpha Wayman believes that this Evelyn, the greatest failure of all the Evelyns he has encountered, has the untapped potential to defeat Jobu. And it's true. In the different verses in which Evelyn does not marry Wayman, we see movie star Evelyn, martial arts expert Evelyn, master chef Evelyn, opera singer Evelyn, and many other slightly more bizarre Evelyns. On a, last week, we talked about how the action scenes in Demolition Man sucked. And I'm glad that this was the next thing we decided to discuss because it makes that observation even clearer. The scene with Alpha Wayman wielding a loaded fanny pack was just amazing. But even beyond that, the combination of action and absurdity in this film, I I truly loved. 
I did too. I think the fanny pack scene is one of the best. And also Michelle's first fight scene right? also yeah. is very good. Um, and I think that's true of most martial arts movies. It often is the first couple that really like bring you into that universe and remind you like, oh, this is what people can do. Yeah. Right. And then right. It, you, you, once you're in that universe, like seeing people do it isn't mm-hmm. as isn't as exciting. I mean, there's some great fight scenes. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah. This is where I say that that I perhaps did not appreciate some of the puerile puerile <laughs> absurdity. <laughs> the dildos I la- like for some reason. I was saying you got to laugh at the dildos. The dildo stuff was pretty funny like there was just it is because you know they swing around they're like yeah. nunchucks right <laughs> the butt plug thing i just mm, i mean I, I i will say this the, you can kind of see the music video slash skit history of the two yeah because they do commit to bits in the same way that like good sketch comedians do right just commit to it and that's actually the thought that i had watching the butt plug fight scene and that's all i mean we can just say that. Yes. Spoiler alert. It really, it's a spoiler alert, but it's, not really much of one. Uh, yeah. Is I was like, well, I'm impressed that they're being, they went through with it. You know, <laughs> like the, the, the butt plug is there. The entire fight scene. <laughs> that is a, a, you know, a level of attention to detail that not everyone's going to do. So mm-hmm. I appreciated it. But then like there's other like just sex, like kind of rely on sex stuff as being like a, Funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, like, there's an S and M alternative verse where, we, you know, like, I, let me put it this way: I don't think they leaned into that one terribly heavily, and I actually thought it was fine. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's between the butt plug, the dildos, and the S and M scene that I'm like, yeah. you're going to that well an awful lot. <laughs> like, I guess. I mean, I, let me put it this way: because those the, are big jokes. This is just me as like comedy comedy person, like. Those right. are big jokes. That's like a mm-hmm. big people are going to notice and remember when you do that kind of joke. So right? I guess the yeah I I guess the way I would put it is that the dildos are just funny. I mean, there's no other I way did. to put it. If it, I, it. I you know what this is like such a minor thing, but this yeah. is also just like they were in the bad gray area of not far enough and too far. Maybe. Right? I, like, I almost, if they'd like really leaned into it even more heavily, it could have been even perhaps funnier. As it is, I was like, this just seems kind of lazy. I you guess. I, we'll talk about this I a mean, bit. I mean, it's good, but it's good, but it's good. It's but, good. But the good other stuff. thing is, the other thing I would say is that while they do it that on the sex stuff, they do it in a lo- on a lot of other different dimensions as well. So in other words, I want to make sure our listeners understand that, this, yes, there are there are the dildos, there are the butt plugs, there's a little bit of S&M. That's not the... The oh, no, 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 those are like, it's just, those are pungent spices. They are pungent. This is a very good metaphor, Dan. Yes. This is a very good metaphor. Thank you. Thank you. Where a little bit of something can kind of overwhelm you, even <laughs> though it's just a little bit. Fair enough. And some of us also really uh, uh, don't like cilantro. <laughs> cilantro tastes like soap to some of us. So I didn't realize we were on opposite sides of the cilantro. Verse. Oh, That's... no, I actually can eat cilantro. Oh, okay, I'm just good, using good. it as an example. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, it yes. It literally okay. tastes like soap to some people. People didn't know that. That's kind of an interesting thing. That is interesting. All right. Let's move on to Act 3. In any universe, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. Evelyn follows Alpha Wayman's instructions and learns how to verse jump. She doesn't always follow the rules, however, so she winds up in some strange places, like the verse where people have hot dog fingers and the ones where they are pinatas. Jobu finally appears, and we learn that she is created, and I swear to God, I am not making this up, an everything bagel that literally contains everything. It is the mother of all everything bagels. It is a black hole. She wants the everything bagel to swallow her up. Evelyn decides that the way to stop Jobu is to become as powerful as her, so she accesses as many universes as she can while battling Jobu's minions. The Alphaverse is not keen on this plan, and so then they send everyone they can to verse jump into our original Evelyn's universe and attack her. Unsurprisingly, this is where it starts to like be like, what are we? What? What? (laughs) But go ahead. Let me put it this way: this is the moment at which you really do have to surrender to the film. Oh, and I did. I totally did. Yeah. It was just I wait. I was like. Wait, what now? <laughs> like, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, this it, are we fighting the everything bagel? Are we fighting Jobu? Are we if the everything bagel is so dangerous then why are we anyway? Yeah. 
Uh, unsurprisingly, good fight scenes. Good fight scenes. Unsurprisingly, like Anna, <laughs> Evelyn's mind splinters, yes. and and various Evelyns fight various versions of Jobu, the Alpha agents, and the IRS across different verses. Evelyn learns that Jobu doesn't want to destroy everything. She created the black. Again, like <laughs> just it's only after the movie was over that I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> She learns that Jobu created the black hole everything bagel to destroy herself and has been searching for an Evelyn who can understand her predicament. As Jobu puts it, I believe in the rock verse, which was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Once you realize the magnitude of the multiverse, life seems to be meaningless and people seem dumb. Anna, which alternative verse was your favorite? I think for me, it was a tie between the Rockverse, and I did love the peace and quiet of the Rockverse. Mm -hmm. I think the Daniels knew that there was like a, such frenetic action in so much of this yeah. film that when they cut to the Rockverse, it was actually legitimately relaxing. Mm -hmm. That said, I really this was a bit where I didn't think they were going to continue with it, but it was I just laughed every time they went yeah, back. Yeah, this to is it. A, this is an occasion where you. I, I mean, the spice metaphor breaks down yeah. because it's like a very mild spice that then appears over and over and over and yes. it finally it's hilarious it really like, is that it's is my favorite form of repeat until funny by the yes. way is like the totally minor thing that then pops up again and again and again <laughs> and again and then becomes major and um, we're referring of course to the Rakakui verse the one in which it's basically the plot of ratatouille except instead of a rat directing a chef it's a raccoon and because I, Evelyn has misremembered. Them. This is also like a mom thing, right? Like this is like totally like what's yes. originally funny about this is it's a very mom thing. Like she's explaining the plot of Ratatouille, but in her memory it's become a raccoon. That her was, by the way, so a, powerful. Yes. It creates it. Well, I don't know if it created it, but like, or maybe no, that was- No, all our ideas. That's what it says. All oh, her right. ideas create an alternate universe. All I will say is that was genuine comedy when she's trying to explain this movie to Joy and Waymond. And at least this just, cognitive dissonance conversation where they're like are you talking about ratatouille and Raymond's like i love that well, film you know just, yeah, yeah. It well because also she keeps saying raccoon and they're right. of course when you say raccoon they're like what movie are you talking about exactly yes it, it was anyway it was very good family dynamic humor yes exactly okay uh but all of these things seem like one-off jokes at first that turn out to have deeper meaning even the hot dog verse you know, actually winds up having some deeper meaning. So I'm sort of curious what you think about that. Also, I assume you have very disapproving thoughts about a dog being used as a weapon in this film. I have even stronger disapproving thoughts about the misuse of Jenny Slate. Ah, fair enough. Okay. Which, she's in the movie, she's great. She's there for, like, three scenes. Maybe, Which, you know, like you have a, three minutes, yeah. You have a lot of good... It's, it's fine. It's just, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, there's Jenny Slate. I wonder what she's going to be up to, and then... Not up to very much. I confess I didn't like her character's name in the credits, which was literally Big Nose. Yeah, not great. No, no not no. great. Not, not great. I did actually, maybe I, I knew in my bones that that dog was not actually being harmed and found it funny that she used the dog as a nunchuck. Okay, I'm glad because I thought I, I was laughing at it. But I, Anna, I want you to know, as I was watching this and You're laughing, like, oh, there was a small that. part of me. It's like, Anna's going to be so pissed. Um, the Hot Dog Fingers universe is another example of something that turns like feels like a one-off, yeah. and then like becomes actually not just a bigger joke, but a part of right. the plot. Yeah, and those were really well handled. I mean, I think that's one reason why for me, like the sex stuff, so was so kind of like a, a, a sounded a wrong note for me in memory, especially is that I think they handled other things so well. That's fair. Okay, that is a fit. Yeah. It, it's like a this, comedian who makes a fart joke, like has a, has an awesome, awesome stand-up routine, right. but also makes a fart joke. Or, and I recognize the double entendre as I'm saying this, they don't go deeper with the sex stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yes. That's yeah. what it is. They, like, the, the dildo joke is great. They don't develop it, which is fine. That's what you yeah. should do with that joke. But with like, even with the S&M stuff, they don't really like go all that much further with it. So yeah, and you, that's fair. And, and, and you could have, I mean, like they yeah. could have made it some, because there's a lot of stuff in this movie that... I guess we don't worry about spoiling, but the hot dog universe winds up being a love story. Yes. Between and Evelyn and the IRS agent, which was, again, legitimately surprising, yes. Legitimately surprising and funny and moving. Yeah. It, that is a really cool thing to do with, like, a disturbing, a visually disturbing right. humor, piece yes. of humor, you know? Mm -hmm. So the other thing I want to say mm -hmm. <laughs> is... This goes back to what I was talking about before about like this is a, a movie about a middle aged superhero or someone who mm -hmm. has a superhero origin story in middle age. I I want to just push back. I think they do call her a failure. 
Oh, Wayman literally says yeah, she's a failure. But yes. what I like about the movie is it mm-hmm. kind of redefines that. Right. It turns it into possibility mm-hmm. rather than failure. Because what he says is all these different ideas that you had, all these different directions that you wanted to go, in other universes you did them. And so all of that potential is in you. And what an amazing way to look at that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like not, oh, I didn't become an opera star, but I really could have. Right. I just didn't. It sort of turns it on its head a little bit in a way that I found kind of empowering. Would you ever want to verse jump on it to see like your your other possibilities as it were? I think you'd have to be really pretty secure with yourself. Yeah. And have a really grounded sense of what you wanted out of your universe. Hmm. Which I do think happens in this movie. Yeah. I think that you know, she has, there's a very funny slash sad scene where she tries to tell Waymond about her movie star life and how happy she was and how great it was. <laughs> I wasn't married to you. <laughs> because it does seem like you, you actually mentioned this. I don't know if you saw, but it is literally true that when she doesn't marry him, she has success. Yes. No, there's he no denying the, that. He is the one. Yeah. He is the, he is the thing that causes her to not have material success. That's, that's correct. Very specific material success. Material success. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. And, you know, she has a journey that isn't really, like, it's not, you know, not a overt theme in the mm-hmm. movie. It's just uh, there that she, her journey is that she realizes that this is the universe she wants to live in. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if I'm in a place where I would be able to choose this universe. Hmm. I guess. I, maybe. Maybe if I saw all those other universes that would didn't give me an appreciation for this universe. I'm making this maybe deeper than you intended. No, it's, <laughs> look, I, I, let me put it this way. So this is a movie, Anna, with dildos and deep thoughts. And I want to get to the end of it so we can talk about more of the deep thoughts, if that's okay. Okay, okay fine. All right, we will close with Act 4, Positivity, all at once. Evelyn seems persuaded by Jobu's nihilistic logic and is about to enter the black hole everything bagel, which really I'm not ever going to be tired of saying. But then she hears Wayman's voice across multiple verses. The different Waymans explain to the different Evelyns that optimism and caring are not signs of weakness, but actually the best strategy to play. That being kind can build interpersonal connections, which are really the only thing that matters in a verse. Evelyn is inspired by Wayman's calls to be kind and learns to defeat the minions of the Alphaverse by using her verse jumping skills to find out what is hurting each of them and making them feel better in the process. Our universe's Evelyn does this to Joy by telling her father that Joy has a girlfriend whose name is Becky. Jobu resists this outreach across multiple verses, saying it's too much and that she's suffocating her. But Evelyn tells her that she's not alone. I'll just jump in again and be like, yes. I, it, it's while it's happening, I'm there. And I like was crying. Yeah. Okay. It was, yeah. It was the afterwards where I was like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> that didn't all make sense. But that's okay. Yeah. While it's happening, you're totally fine. I have to say, when The Rock turns around with the googly eyes, I friggin' love that. That was it's, just... It, that was a laugh cry. Yes. That was like... It was so sweet and wonderful. Yes. And I wish that every part of this last thing could have been like that. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, continue. The point is, is that Evelyn tells her that she's not alone and that she's happy to have a life with her, even though it's a simple one. Joy and Evelyn embrace, and the different versions of Evelyn reconcile with their partners in those verses. It looked like, and it looks like they might actually manage to survive their tax audit. Anna, while I enjoyed the first two thirds of the film, the final act legitimately surprised me. It went in a direction I was not expecting and moved me in a way that, to be honest, I don't think I've been moved in, in a movie theater since watching Inside Out. Like, as you say, I don't cry all that often in movies. I started crying, you know, when Wayman starts explaining why it is worth being kind. So. I get the impression it didn't quite work for you as well as it did for me. Well, I cried at each one of the movie's endings. Okay. (laughs) And that is a valid critique. This movie has about five different endings. Yes. Yeah. And they're all good. And that's actually kind of what's annoying. (laughs) It's like, oh, yes, the message. It's like all of them have like this message Mm -hmm. that's pretty particular. Like hope and optimism is actually a strength. Or (laughs) all these different things that you thought you failed at, you weren't really failing. Or your life has meaning. And then we get to the last one, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to be super honest, which is, like, I don't I don't understand, like, what... <laughs> like, the scene where she's, like, their daughter's storming off to her car. Right. She didn't say anything she hasn't already said. Mm-hmm. 
it's just like it finally lands with joy i guess i mean and again, while this is happening like i'm like all misty eyed right but, but after the fact you're like still not sure I'm still like i don't know what like it didn't really end on a it's like they had so much they wanted to say yeah like the simple life hope is a strength like they had all these things they wanted to say mm-hmm. and just decided to say them all and I think it could have been stronger, maybe, if it, they'd kind of landed on one of those or made one of them kind of the thing they really pushed. Because as it is, I don't. And I also, like I said, so, so I got I got annoyed with the whole like. And then Joy says it's too much, and you're smothering her. <laughs> That's kind of a realistic thing to happen. Yeah, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, it just reminded me, like, oh yeah, like what is like what is happening here? Right. <laughs> like, so I think what is the fate of the universe that's at stake? She just wants to commit suicide. What is being resolved by her and her mom reconciling? So okay, here's where I there are things I agree with. First of all, the the film's ending is very messy. The mm-hmm. the there is a messiness to this film that I think is a both a valid critique, but also frankly one of the more delightful aspects of it. Yeah. So it, it's no, a, it's. You know. It's an earnest film, and a lot of times earnest is, is messy. Right. You know? But let me say where I agree with you. I think the problem with that last scene between Evelyn and Joy is that I couldn't figure out whether Evelyn was just talking to the Joy of this verse, or was she talking to Jobu? And it was frankly not clear. Mm-mm. And so that was one of the sources of confusion I had. And also I felt like they both needed different things. Right. Like, Jobu needed a different message from From Evelyn. Joy. Than yeah. Joy needed from Evelyn, and right. so I was trying to like, because at first I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Are she trying to say that all of the Joys have the same kinds of issues? But yeah. no, they don't. Like, right, Jobu which in some ways Joy have very different issues. So I let me put it this way: the thing I liked about this movie, and I think I liked this better than you, is that as you say, it's a film of multiple endings, and the movie, two thirds of the way through this movie, you could think of it as a very well done but nihilistic and cynical exercise. <laughs> like, it is a, you know, movie in which Jobu's message is, oh, my God, people are dumb. And, you know, the universe is stupid. And therefore, I just... And it and it's delivered in a very heartfelt way by Jobu. And, like, it's a convincing message at the time that you hear it. And, again, the rock verse is the one that, that does this the best. And I was, you know, at one point, that's one of the fake endings. And then when you hear Waymond sort of, you know, offer a counter to that... That was the sort of one fake ending to the next that I liked. It was a nice, mm-hmm. it was an unexpected move. It was an earnest move, as you say. And I, I really like that. But I will grant you that after that, there was some issues where I, I, I agree. Like, I wasn't entirely sure who was talking to who at one point. And you're right. The message that Jobu has, which is Jobu does need someone. Jobu needs, like, Evelyn across the verses to be able to say, see, you're not alone. Because that message of connection is an important one. And that mm-hmm. actually is the counter to the nihilistic thing. But the weird thing is, is that you're right. The joy that we originally meet in this verse, the problem there is not connection. The problem there is joy needs to live her life. Yeah. And, you know, Evelyn just The problem just needs- there is actually that Evelyn is hovering. Right, exactly. And that was, the, and like, I think you're right in that sense, that that was not entirely resolved and doesn't quite work logically in the sense of the film. But again, it everything people are so good in this. Like the acting is so good, yeah. the script is good. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, another <laughs> fucking hero in this yeah. movie. Who I also was like, oh my god, is that Jamie Lee Curtis? Like, right. and it is. <laughs> all even whatever I can make fun of them for not using much of Jenny Slate, but she's very good. I mean, yeah. like all the little parts are good. James like, Hong, it, who plays the, the the grandfather, is very good. He's like a veteran character actor. He's great. Yeah. So you're carried along through all of this. Yeah. Right. Like it. It is. It, again, if one's critique of a movie is after I thought about it a little, it bothered me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a good movie. Yeah. No, I think the <laughs> other way to put it is that this is far from a perfect film, but yeah. it's a great film. Yeah. That's the way I would put it. Like, it, yeah, there are things you can absolutely critique about it, and maybe a, a different version would have been that much better, but. This is an interesting, engaging movie. But it, it wouldn't, I also say, I don't know if it would have the exuberance that this movie does if the, it, they had had an attitude of, of less is more. Yes. This is not a less is more film. This is no, definitely this is a, more a more is, is more. more. This is an overstuffed yeah. film, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Dan, this brings us to a question. 
Yes, Anna. Is there IR? Is one of the many things stuffed into this film IR? Anna, I understand that your brain is under an incredible amount of stress, but anyone can see that there is IR in this film. The battle between Jobu and Evelyn during this film is actually a stalking horse for the battle between a realist and utopian view of the world. And this is reminiscent of E.H. Carr's classic international relations text, The 20 Years Crisis. So, in that book, Carr talked about two different ways of viewing the world. One was a realist view, the way the world is, and one is utopian, the way the world that we want it to be. Everyone thinks that realism is the only way to look at things. And there are quotes throughout the movie that actually sound like the sort of realist critique of a utopian worldview. You know, at one point they say nobody trusts their neighbor anymore, you know, which... I don't know, it seemed kind of like commentary on Trump to me. I don't know if that's how you got on it. It was a weird, I, there's there's some stuff in here that like feels like a, like right. it's overstuffed. Right. You're going to have some things that you kind of raise your eyebrows about. But, and then yeah. right is a tiny box invented by people who are afraid. That was without question a realist critique of the utopian view. Realism is a value perspective, and everyone thinks of Carr's book as a withering takedown of utopian thought. But actually, in that book, Carr acknowledged that utopian thought was also necessary. That people need and want to believe in a purpose that is higher and greater than themselves. And I think that's what Waymond and then Evelyn tap into to change Jubu's mind. So, weirdly enough, this film is in fact a validation that you do need to have a slightly utopian view of international relations in order to be able to get anything done. Uh, you need to have a slightly utopian view of life. Yes. Like, you, you, if one is too realist about the world, you're hopeless. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, what I, <laughs> what I find funny is that I think we, the most common theme of IR mm-hmm. in everything we talk about yeah. is utopian versus realist. Right. Yeah. yeah. Liberal and, versus uh, realist. Yes. It, it's a common theme. But in this case, it's utopian because modern day liberals in international relations aren't don't like the word utopian. This actually goes to something <laughs> a little older in international relations theory. So that's okay. why I don't oh, want to okay. saddle liberals with it. I, it's a big friggin' deal with an IR theory on it. <laughs> you don't want to get involved in these disputes. Okay? Right. I'm, I'm saving you from a world of hurt. That's all I'm telling you. It's, it's Biggie and Tupac? Uh, yeah. Only yeah. IR? Yes. Except there's multiple generations is the other thing. So it's, just, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. But Anna, now I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, there is a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. <laughs> and a critique of capitalism may be our only <laughs> chance to stop it. <laughs> I had to think for a bit to get to the place where I got, but I think it's actually an important point, especially this time of year, which is the movie mainly concerns itself with capitalism through taxes. Right. Right? Yeah. In this movie, taxes are bad. The IRS is literally evil, right? Yeah. And uh, this is a feeling that a lot of us can sympathize with right. this time of year. Right. And it's also part of a narrative that fiscal conservatives and right-wingers in general mm-hmm. have used to great effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, Dan, what if I told you... Yes? Yes? ...that Americans' hatred of tax season is not... Because of taxes, the socialist taxes, it's actually because of crony capitalism. You have my attention, Anna. You're a cosmopolitan guy. Cosmopolitan guy. You probably know this, that other countries don't do taxes like we do. Did you Mm -hmm. know that? I was vaguely aware of it, yes. They just get a thing from the government that's like, you owe X, Y, Z. And you can dispute that. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, it makes sense. Who knows what you owe the government? The government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they spend like, it's like less than two hours a year doing taxes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's like you, you get some of the same stuff we get, like deductions and everything. It's right. just all there. Right. And, and in fact, this is such transparently a good idea that mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan wanted it for us. There you go. <laughs> and in George Bush also, like mm-hmm. both of those administrations proposed something along these lines. And what defeated it was TurboTax. Because there is an entire industry devoted to filling out people's taxes. Yes. Yes. And they've spent millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, lobbying Congress mm-hmm. and cheating. Mm-hmm. 
They are actually, so TurboTax is one of the official administrators of what is called the free filing program, Mm -hmm. which exists. There was a big ProPublica investigation about it. They actually like used search engine tricks to hide the forms that are free. And also, like, when they would ask questions, the TurboTax questions, they would kind of push people towards, well, maybe you need to pay. They would exploit the fears and uncertainty that people have dealing with money, dealing with taxes, mm-hmm. and push them into to payment. I read this statistic, which blows my mind, and I had to, I just looked everywhere, and it's true. 70% of Americans are eligible for free tax preparation. Wow. And 3% of Americans use it. <sighs> <laughs> that is depressing. Yes. Our friend Austin Goolsby, I think we Our friend, yes, you can say that. Our friend Austin Goolsby. He's a big proponent of what's called the returnless system. Mm-hmm. Uh Americans would save 2 billion a year. And not uh, to mention aggravation. Like I think uh, yeah. it, it's not just yeah. the money when it comes to taxes. It is also the aggravation of having to mm-hmm. do it. It that cannot be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's the hours of work, 225 hours of work a year. Which is a lot. That's it, that's it, that's five weeks of work if like a forty hour work week. And this may not sound like it. So some people are probably like, well, I only pay like for the software or whatever. Right. But when you t- divide like your twenty five dollar tax preparer software, or when you multiply it by all the people that use it, like TurboTax is making just bank. Yes. <laughs> yep. And that's an entire industry that would go away. <laughs> and so that is why we have the tax system we do. I think there's a John Oliver show about this. And like I said, that there is a big ProPublica series also. Interesting. So there's a multiverse in which this movie is kicked off by some other event. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think about what it would be, like what's the same kind of like annoying, distressing, and high stakes. Most of them are associated with American culture, the things that I think about. You know how like... Health insurance coverage, for example? Yeah, exactly. For example, just 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 tossing that out there. Out of the blue, something could be. Who that. knows? Yeah, people might be thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> that is actually what I thought about. And of course, it's unique to America. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that Breaking Bad, like you know, only could happen in America. Mm. The set of Breaking Bad, and I do kind of wonder if other when this movie is shown worldwide, if other people are going to quite get the stakes of the IRS audit, maybe of the IRS audit. That would be interesting. Yeah. All right, well, I've, I've oh. talked enough. Uh, uh, oh, no. Pew, pew. It's the debris field. Yep. yep. This is where we talk about the things we didn't say before. I feel like I've said a ton, but Dan, do you have things that you haven't already said? I have a few things, not much, though. First of all, there is one verse in which Evelyn is a movie star, like a yes. mar- basically Michelle Yeoh is a martial arts action star. And I just want to say movie star Evelyn's dress is fucking spectacular. She looks amazing in it. But I am also glad for this verse because it is the one verse in which Waymond is allowed to look hot. And he does. And he looks I will hot. verify. Yes. Yeah. That worked for you, I'm assuming. Like, I was, it was the only one in which Waymond... It's the glasses. Yes. It was amazing how just changing the glasses. Also, the acting. Like, it, it makes a difference, though. Like, he he's suddenly smooth and suave in that one in a way that he isn't in any other verse. And so, like, that was incredibly well done. Yeah. To see how impressive this film is, there is one movie it actually reminded me of. There's a movie that came out, I want to say, in the early 2000s. It's not very good. It is called The One, starring Jet Li and Jason Statham and Delroy Lindo, about someone who gains power by jumping oh. multiple verses. And it, yeah. Yeah. It was actually kind of popular. It was actually, like, it had some success. Yeah, it's not a yeah. bad... I want to be very clear. It is not a bad film, but... Like, it's interesting. It would be an interesting, like, you know, double feature because that movie is an okay action movie. This one is thinking much deeper thoughts. And so mm-hmm. it, it's fascinating in that sense. And then finally, I, like, I have to love any film that is simultaneously both wildly inventive, but also clearly is riffing off of other films. I mean, there are obvious homages, not just to Ratatouille, but also Kill Bill, The Matrix, In the Mood for Love. You know, these are not. Ordinarily, four films that one would think would you would see an homage in a single film. So again, I just I love the messiness of it in a way that that I don't yeah. always do. So like it was it was a great film in that sense. I think exuberant is like yes. the word that I've landed upon that I really like for this movie. It's exuberant. What do you got, Anna? I don't really have much. I I just really appreciate old lady foo, like, <laughs> women my age fighting to the death with really ripped pinkies. 
With really ripped pinkies, yeah. really looking great. I really appreciate that. I will, again, just say Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, multiverse, if you have a multiverse, you have to, it requires good acting to really work. Mm-hmm. And all of them do it. Yeah. Like, every single one of the main characters here brings the chameleon aspect that you need. Yeah. All of the, yes. I mean, almost all the actors are appearing as actors from multiple verses, and they all do pull it off. And, and again, this is an extremely well-acted film. It's one of the ways in which it's uh, enjoyable. And I'm trying to think about if there's really anything else. I also loved the rock verse. <laughs> um, and I do think it was a clever kind of break yeah. for a viewer. Right, uh, because this movie is a bit much at times. There's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. And it's a lot emotionally. Yeah. I didn't expect it. Um, I think maybe it's good to expect it. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, to be fair, the title should have given it away. But yes, that is a good point. But yeah, we've covered it a lot. I, I think this movie is one of the most surprising ones mm-hmm. that we've done. For me. Yeah. Like, that I I had no idea what to expect, really, besides Michelle Yeoh. And right. it was something that's completely unique. I would also put it, this was a movie that lived up to the trailer, which is not what a lot of, a lot of movies might have a good trailer and don't pan out, but this looked different from the moment you watched the trailer. I wasn't quite what I expected. It's definitely engaging and it, it makes you think deep thoughts. And even if those deep thoughts don't entirely add up, and I agree with you that there's a few problems with the end, the journey was enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Highly recommend it. Go. go see it. If you've made it to this this far in the podcast and you haven't seen it, number one, what? Yeah. Number two, go see it. Go see the movie. You'll see what we're talking yeah. about. So upcoming, we have uh, The City We Became, The Vast of Night, which I know is a nominee from you, Dan. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And then we have our uh, cannon fodder, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Mm-hmm. I will again put in a plug. If you aren't already a patron, become a patron at patreon.com slash space the nation. And we don't make much money from this, but um, the little amount of money we do make allows us to not lose money. Which we're also big fans of, I would add. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it pays for Karen. And Alwyn. And Alwyn. And, yeah. and two of our favorite beings. Mm. I know you haven't met Alwyn. I haven't met Alwyn either. I haven't met Karen either, to be fair, technically. I mean, that yeah. is true. That is true. You haven't actually met Karen. They're both lovely. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate Karen very, very yes. much and are happy to be able to pay someone to make a sound mm-hmm. not like idiots. Mm-hmm. Guys, Dan? I sound like such a big idiot ordinarily. <laughs> you have no idea how idiotic I sound if the, we just gave actually, you the Dan, raw footage. They do, actually, if they downloaded <laughs> early our last episode early, mm-hmm. <laughs> they do actually now have an idea. <laughs> Because for a big April Fool's prank, there we I go. decided Fair to enough. post just Dan's side of our conversation for the last, um, for uh, Demolition Man. And uh, it's such a clever April Fool's joke. <laughs> People didn't seem to get it, but eventually I replaced it with the correct audio. Well done. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Keep this channel open for more.